The following is presented by the Center for Political Innovation, CPI, Building American Socialism for the 21st Century. To learn more, visit cpiusa.org. Folks, I made the point in my recent conversation with Jackson Hinkle and Haas, I made the point that liberalism depends on illiberal institutions in order to prop it up. Now, when I say liberalism, what am I referring to? Right? What am I referring to? Do I just mean Democrats and Republicans? No. When I talk about liberalism, I am referring to the ideology, the ideology that puts individualism above all else, uh, the ideology that respects the right of the individual, argues that there should be no central belief system for a society, uh, argues that the individual has no obligation to the community or to the society. Everyone is on their own. Everyone is their own individual, and individualism should come before all else. Collectivism should be broken down. Collectivism of any kind is dangerous. The liberal ideology depends on illiberalism, um, right? And there's economic liberalism, which is the idea that the state should not intervene in the economy, neoliberalism, free markets, austerity. Uh, and then there is social liberalism, which is the idea that people have no obligation to their family or no obligation to their community. They should just be able to be their own person. Everyone is an individual, no overarching narrative. Uh, you know, there is no truth. Postmodernism is very much an expression of social liberalism. The idea that anyone trying to tell you that there is a central truth or there is objective reality is an evil authoritarian um, and that we should all just kind of live in this place of, uh, of, of existential confusion, right and wrong don't exist, um, that's postmodernism. Uh, and that, I would argue, is an extension of liberalism. It is liberalism in the philosophical sphere. And that liberalism is very much the privilege of those who come from wealthy backgrounds. In order to live a life where you can be totally financially independent, not depend on anyone else financially, in order to have an upbringing uh, that encourages you to think for yourself, uh, in which there is not authoritarianism and restrictions, uh, in order to, to live a, a liberal life and have a liberal view, uh, that comes from a place of privilege, right? That most people in the world cannot live uh, a liberal life. Uh, most people in the world, uh, they have to sell their labor to a boss in order to survive. Um, they obviously, uh, you know, they have to be part of a family and, and they are financially depend on their family members and, and that, you know, it's people can't survive on their own. So they, they need to have those relationships in order to get by in the world. Uh, that people need an ideology to believe in to keep them going. Uh, that people are subject, uh, subject to discipline and authoritarianism. And that that this kind of love affair with liberalism uh, on the left and on the right is a representation of privilege, um, that uh, this belief that liberalism is sacred and that, that, that all forms of authoritarianism are the most scary thing and that, that we should be standing against authoritarianism and collectivism in the name of liberalism, that this strand of thinking in left-wing circles uh, is a, largely a representation of privilege. And that like Vosch, for example, one of the adherents of liberalism, he equates tankies, i.e. those who defend Soviet socialism or those who defend Cuba or Venezuela or China, he equates them with Nazis because in his view, all forms of illiberalism are the same. He cannot distinguish between right-wing illiberalism like fascism and left-wing illiberalism, which is the socialist and communist movements, right? And that socialism and communism is, at the end of the day, 
At the end of the day, socialism and communism is an illiberal movement. It strives for the broad masses of society, the working class, to take control of the means of production and operate the means of production in the interests of all of society for a collective vision of emancipating humanity from the irrationality of profits and markets and putting human need ahead of the profits of a few. So Marxism is a fundamentally illiberal movement. Liberalism and Marxism do not walk hand in hand. Liberalism celebrates the individual above all else. Marxism seeks collective emancipation through humanity joining together and taking economic measures to liberate the means of production, the banks, factories, and industries, the centers of economic power, from the control of individual capitalists who operate them in their own for their own selfish reasons and put them under the control of all of society so that growth can no longer be restrained by the irrationality of the market and human reason can plan out production um, and that is that is the marxist movement it is largely an illiberal movement it is a left-wing form of illiberalism um, and those who consider Marxism to be a strand of liberal thought, uh, I talk about them in my book, Bread Tube Serves Imperialism. I got that somewhere uh, here. In my book, Bread Tube Serves Imperialism, I critique the bread tube crowd because I argue that they essentially have a liberal interpretation of Marxism. They oppose state intervention in the economy. They think socialism is simply the creation of voluntary profit-centered worker cooperatives. Uh, they, they see Nazis everywhere and they equate all illiberalism with Nazism. Um, and they have a pessimistic worldview. They see the world as heading toward a great apocalypse. Uh, you know, they celebrate deconstruction. Uh, they oppose ideology. That, that bread tube is largely a reinvention of leftism to make it consistent with liberalism. What contrapoints, Vosch, Thought Slime uh, and various voices, H-Bomber guy, what they espouse is not leftism. What they espouse is liberalism dressed up as leftism, that they believe in an ideology that rejects any notion of collectivism. They equate all illiberalism with Nazi fascism. Uh, they, they view the world as coming to a catastrophic end because liberalism will be ended. Collectivism will emerge victorious. Um, and because of that, they serve imperialism because the imperialist global order depends, largely depends on the liberal worldview, neoliberal economics. Um, and the reason that liberalism is a lost cause, I often argue, the reason that liberalism is a lost cause is because liberalism could not exist without illiberalism that the United States has been able to prop itself up as a global economic power by sending around the world an institution called the U.S. military. The U.S. military goes all around the world enforcing the rule of Wall Street, beating down independent countries, bombing and destroying independent countries, occupying them, and forcing the domination of the global market by Western banks and corporations. That the global economic order of imperialism of which liberalism is a central aspect, depends on the U.S. Army. And the U.S. Army is not, not a liberal institution. And I, I joke about this. I talk about, imagine a liberal army. All right, folks, is America the greatest country in the world? Sir, we don't know, sir. It depends how you measure that, sir. Right? 
Are we fighting for truth and justice? Sir, we don't know, sir. It depends. It's a matter of opinion, sir. There are competing narratives, sir. We do not have an opinion. Right? Uh, you can't build a liberal army. You can't build a think-for-yourself, everything's-a-matter-of-opinion army. All right, we're going to go march up the hill. Sir, we're not sure we want to do that, sir. We're having an argument about the ethical implications of doing that, sir. Uh, everything is relative, sir. You can't do that. Armies, by definition, are highly collective institutions. They are highly authoritarian institutions, and they are highly illiberal institutions. You can't have a liberal individualist army. But the liberalism of the West depends not only on that army existing, but on that army going around the world and beating down various illiberal forces. Um, and this is the contradiction of liberalism. You can't have liberalism without all kinds of illiberalism to prop it up. And this is where liberalism enters a very, very confused space. Because not only do you have to have an army, not only do you have to have an army, you have to have an, a, a cast of people in society who will become soldiers in that army and who will be raised and brought up in an environment that is highly conducive to them becoming soldiers in that army. Uh, you go to the U.S. South. You know, there is a very, very big overrepresentation of the U.S. South in the army. Did you know that? The U.S. South of the United States. There's a lot of poor white people in the U.S. South. There's a lot of low-income black folks in the South. Uh, and they are both highly overrepresented in the U.S. military. You go to the Florida Panhandle, you go to Georgia, you go to Alabama, you go to North and South Carolina, uh, you go to Mississippi. The military is a much bigger aspect of the culture, and there are far more U.S. military bases in the U.S. South uh, than there are for example, um, you know, in, in northern states or, you know, or in California and in the West, right? That the, the south of the United States is a very, very important part of the U.S. military structure. Um, largely, that's because the, the north was industrialized. The south was clinging to the plantation system. Um, and that, uh, that in a lot of ways, uh, the, the, the plantation system of the south was very much dependent on a military the, the South, under the plantation system and under the slave owners, kind of glorified uh, knights and castles and had some kind of mystical chivalry uh, beliefs. Uh, you know, the Southern, you know, the, the Southern plantation system that was working millions of African-Americans to death and had like literal, you read about what went on, you know, in, in Louisiana, there was a, there was a, a plantation called Angola. Uh, and it was named after the part of Africa called Angola. It was Angola Plantation, and they would work millions of African-Americans to death. I mean, the body count for Angola uh, slave plantation is massive. I mean, working there was a death sentence. I mean, millions of, of African-Americans were, you know, I, at least hundreds of thousands were worked to death in Angola. Angola slave plantation in, in Louisiana. It was sending sending a slave there was, was the, the, the equivalent of killing them. Um, but that slave plantation system of the South, among the, the landowners, among the small minority of Southerners who owned land, there was this weird reactionary, mystical uh, admiration for, uh, for, the, uh, for the knights and castles uh, of the South, Sir Walter Scott uh, for the knights and castles of Europe. And Sir Walter Scott, uh, the, the writer who wrote Ivanhoe and the Black Arrow was kind of very much loved. And, and so the military, even back then, became more respected because it was seen as somehow mystical and honorable. And so 
you know, and then you had the U.S. Civil War. And then after the Civil War, you had, you know, the, the propaganda of the Democratic Party and Woodrow Wilson, uh, you know, and the birth of a nation and gone with the wind and an attempt to kind of inculcate into Southern people that, that the military is a big aspect of, of their life. And you had the fact that the South never really became fully industrialized. It remained largely agrarian, uh, industrialization being held back by the the existence of slavery. Um, and so the, in the South, uh, the military becomes a very big part of life. Um, and you'll notice that there are aspects of Southern culture um, that you could argue are highly illiberal, right? Um, and again, you know, uh, that is largely because, uh, because many people in the South are brought up with the belief that they will and should go into the military. Right. Uh, one aspect of, of, you know, of Southern culture is that, you know, most of the United States, we have abolished corporal punishment. Right. You know, uh, they, you know, U.S. schools, your teacher can give you detention. Your teacher can, you know, can send you to the principal's office, can hold you after school, suspend you. But in, in most most parts of the United States, teachers are not able to, to beat students. They're not allowed to spank them, right? Well, in most Southern states, corporal punishment remains legal, right? Uh, in Texas, in Alabama, in Mississippi, uh, you know, it is, it happens. It tends to not be in, in urban areas. It tends to be in rural areas. In the rural South, in, you know, areas that are largely African-American are largely white, uh, you have the use of corporal punishment in school. Well, corporal punishment is not liberal, Corporal punishment is not a liberal thing to do. You know, the liberal order says, you know, that that's not something we do. It's not enlightened. We want we don't want our children uh, to, you know, grow up in school in fear of getting spanked. You know, uh, but unfortunately, uh, the liberal the liberal order needs largely it needs people that grow up in a more highly authoritarian atmosphere. It needs people. Uh, that will go into the military. And when you have a culture centered around the military, when you have a culture uh, centered around raising people around the military, uh, you're going to train them to grow up to be very differently. Um, in a lot of ways, they talk about, you know, that Southern culture is very illiberal, right? You know, that children are brought up to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am uh, to all adults. Um, and that there are aspects of Southern culture that are that are highly reminiscent of illiberalism. And again, if you didn't have the U.S. Army and the U.S. Marine Corps and uh, the U.S. Coast Guard and the U.S. Air Force, the U.S. Navy, uh, you wouldn't be able to have liberalism. And this is what liberals can't seem to wrap their minds around, right? They can't seem to wrap their minds around the fact that their liberal order is dependent, very, very much dependent on the existence of illiberalism. And this becomes even more blatant, even more blatant. When you look at international relations of the United States, when you read Foreign Affairs magazine, the publication of the Council on Foreign Relations, when you listen to uh, what the Hillary Clinton State Department and the intellectuals of imperialism, Samantha Power and Marie Slaughter, when you listen to what they say, they are so confused in how they speak about things. Um, They're so confused about it uh, because they are largely um, largely believers in liberalism, but aligned with illiberal forces. And this is a contradiction of U.S. foreign policy that is very, very hard to wrap your mind around. The United States condemns the Chinese government for being illiberal. The Chinese government has an ideology, Marxism, Leninism, Mao Zedong thought, Deng Xiaoping theory, 
uh, and it espouses that ideology. Children in China are brought up to believe in that ideology. The state controls the economy. It's not a free market economy. So that's bad, we are told. And so in order, in the name of freedom and in the name of individual rights and human rights, the United States works against the Chinese Communist Party. And who do they align themselves with? They align themselves with the biggest anti-China force in the United States. The biggest anti-China political organization and mobilization in the United States is a religious group called the Falun Gong. The Falun Gong. They run the Epoch Times. Uh, the Epoch Times, uh, which is a, a newspaper. Um, they are a religious cult. And, um, right, All right, internationalism and patriotism. They're a religious cult, the Epoch Times. And the way the Epoch Times operates, it's very, very clearly the Epoch Times is not a liberal organization by any means. Uh, this is a group that advocates the execution or at least the castration of homosexuals. Uh, this is a group uh, whose founder is presented as a messianic leader uh, that separates children from their families, that demands total devotion, that says women shouldn't be able to vote. Uh, and the Epic Times is not a liberal organization, but they are needed by the imperialists. They are needed to fight to fight against the uh, against China. And so in order to fight China, while espousing liberalism and espousing liberal condemnations of China, they align with the Falun Gong. Another great example is in Ukraine, the ultra-nationalists in Ukraine, the Azov Battalion, uh, you know, you know, individuals like groups like Svoboda in Ukraine. These are not liberal organizations. These are not people that believe in freedom of thought and, they, and that, that believe in racial tolerance and such. On the contrary, uh, these are ultra-nationalists who admire Adolf Hitler, who preach anti-Semitism, uh, who preach ethnic bigotry. Uh, the, the Ukrainian far right, the Ukrainian nationalist element is highly illiberal, but yet uh, the United States government arms them. And these publications, uh, the academic voices of Western liberalism support them and demonize Russia, arguing that Russia uh, Russia is a threat to liberalism uh, because Putin, they argue, is a threat to liberalism. Uh, they argue that, that the USA must support these forces of illiberalism. In Syria, for example, right, the Syrian government is condemned by the United States because it believes in Ba'athist Arab socialism, because it supports the Palestinians and their struggle against Israel, because of the fact uh, that it that it has a socialist economy and controls the major industries, um, and you know, and and is centered around the Baathist Arab Socialist Party, they condemn the Syrian Arab Republic. But who does the United States align itself with? It aligns itself with Wahhabis, forces that want to execute gay people, that want to forcibly deport all the Christians and and Alawites from Syria. The forces that the United States aligns with in Syria are not liberal forces, even though their condemnation of the Syrian government is that the Syrian government doesn't believe in liberalism. The forces that the U.S. government aligns with against the Syrian Arab Republic are illiberal. Um, and this is the contradiction. You need illiberalism to prop up liberalism. Liberalism is a luxury. 
for those who come from the privileged background, right? Liberalism is for the Romans. It is not for the people of Gaul. It's not for the people of Britain. It's not for the people of Persia. It's not for the people of North Africa. Liberalism is only for the Romans, and it's not for the proletariat of Rome. Liberalism is for the patricians and the plebeians. That's who liberalism is for. Liberalism serves the patricians and plebeians, and it needs the proletarians and slaves who are brought up to be illiberal to fight its wars. It needs the people of the empire to be illiberal and to be subjugated. But among the patricians and plebeians, the Vosches, the contrapoints, the thought slimes, among the patricians and plebeians, there is this cry for liberalism. And that is the nature of liberalism. Liberalism, liberalism can only exist on top of a pile of illiberalism. And liberalism is a luxury, a luxury only available to those who have the luxury of not being part of the illiberal forces that are needed to prop up liberalism. Um, and this is the contradiction of liberalism. And I joke that internationally, it's gonna get so ridiculous, right? They're already, in the name of liberalism, supporting the Falun Gong. In the name of liberalism, they're supporting Wahhabi terrorists in Syria. In the name of liberalism, uh, they are supporting some of the most brutal authoritarian forces in Latin America, drug gangs and terrorist groups. And in the name of liberalism, they're supporting the Azov Battalion and the Ukrainian far right. And I almost joke that it's going to get so ridiculous. I, I really do see this happening, folks. At some point, I really, really do see, um, you know, we're going to have a BBC interview. And it's like, hello, hello, everyone. Today, we are going to have an interview with a very important anti-Russian, anti-Chinese freedom fighter. Uh, he, he is an individual who loves freedom and Western values so much, so much, uh, that he is sacrificing his life on the battlefield. We have with us Og the Destroyer, Mr. Og the Destroyer. And there will be a shirtless man who will get on there holding a big sword. You'll be like, me Og Destroyer, me hate Russia, me hate China, me Og the Destroyer. And the reporter will say, Mr. Og the Destroyer, can you tell us how Russian President Vladimir Putin and uh, uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping are persecuting the homosexuals? And he will be on here and say, Og no like gay people. Og kill gay people. Og angry when he see gay people. And they will say, thank you, Mr. Og. Now, Og the Destroyer, can you tell us uh, how it is, how it is that uh, you feel about the new cache of weapons that the Israeli military has just given to you and your army? Og no like Jews. Og kill Jews. Og eat Jews. Og hate Jews. Og. Well, Mr. Og, thank you for your fight uh, for freedom and liberty against the evil uh, Russian and Chinese governments, against the Baathist Arab socialists. Do you have anything to say, Mr. Og, about your global battle for freedom and the rights of the individual? Og, kill people. Og, eat people. Og, control world. Og, kill people. Very good, Mr. Og. Your commitment to Western democratic values throughout Eurasia is very deeply appreciated, Mr. Og. Uh, you can be assured that all the great Western liberals and believers in democracy and LGBT rights and freedom will be supporting you, uh, Mr. Og. Thank you for your interview. Og, angry! 
Og angry. Women not interview Og. Only man interview Og. Uh, thank you, Mr. Og. Uh, we'll be talking to you later. And then the interview ends. I mean, that's what it's going to be. I, I swear, I am waiting for the interview with Og the Destroyer. Og the Destroyer as the voice of Western values and freedom. Og the Destroyer. Uh, I'm waiting for this because this is how delusional and crazy Western liberalism is get. You can't have liberalism without illiberalism. And, and the institutions backed by the United States are not liberal. The U.S. military is not liberal. The Falun Gong is not liberal. The Unification Church is not liberal. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is not liberal. The anti-communists, the phalangists and Pinochet admirers of Latin America are not liberal. Uh, the drug gangs are not liberal. Western liberalism depends on illiberalism. So while they condemn Russia and China for being illiberal, they cultivate illiberal counter gangs around the world to do their dirty work. And they kind of look the other way and they pretend to espouse these values of democracy and freedom. Uh, and it reveals a hypocrisy. 